It's the World Wide Sports Radio Network. Broadcasting from coast to coast. City to city, coast to coast. It's time for the Ryan Hickey Show on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. If it's happening in sports, it's being talked about right here. And here's your host, Ryan Hickey. Good Thursday morning. Welcome in to the Worldwide Sports Ready Network. It is the Ryan Hickey Show with you here for the next two hours, going until 11 a.m. Eastern. And a ton, as always, to get into here. The last few shows have been, I would say, NBA-centric. NBA heavy. We are in the middle of the NBA postseason. But there is a lot of news outside of just basketball. Trust me, we'll get to a lot of NBA playoff action from last night, from the weekend, going forward. But we have some MLB news as they continue to crack down on illegal substances. This is the first week that is going on. We've had some great theater. Don't get me wrong. Listen, I love when pitchers throw their hats down, throw their gloves down, start to take off their pants. It is funny. It is hilarious. But something does need to change. I do have a solution. Now, this is a little radical. We'll get to this here in a little bit, in an hour from now. A solution that hitters... I think would like, pitchers would like, Major League Baseball would like, managers would like. We'll try to see if we can come up with one solution. I think I have it. I'll make everybody happy, which in this world, as we know, is almost an impossible task. We will try, though. We will definitely try. Pro Football Network is an um, organization started by former ESPN analyst Trey Wingo. They put out their top 10 power rankings for NFL teams heading to 2021. It's interesting. We will discuss, we will react, we'll do that in, in 40 minutes or so from now. The Suns continue to roll. They look to go up 3-0 tonight in L.A. A lot of teams in the NBA postseason with still a lot to gain and a lot to lose. We'll tell you who those players, teams, and coaches are. And, of course, we will get to last night's action as well. As a reminder, we're coming to you live, as we always are, from the Big Italy Pizzeria Studios. Now, with its great pizza, hot heroes, and phenomenal dinners, check out BigItalyPizza.com to find a location near you. Now, I always love getting you involved in the show. Always love hearing your thoughts. You can do so in one of two ways. Very simple, very easy. Facebook, if you're watching the live stream, we appreciate you watching there. Watching there. Worldwide Sports Ray Network is where you can find the live stream. And if you want to comment on whatever we talk about, you can comment right there in the comment section. Next thing is we'll read your thoughts on the air before we get out of here at 11 a.m. Eastern. Twitter, WWSRN underscore radio is our Twitter handle. My Twitter handle if you want to follow the show at Ryan Hickey Show. Both of those handles, both of those um, areas on Twitter have the show streaming as well. We're also on YouTube, Worldwide Sports Network, with a live stream there if you want to catch it there and comment your thoughts with basketball, baseball, football. We'll get all your thoughts in here before we get out of here at 11 a.m. Eastern. We will start with last night's game. Because the Phoenix Suns, to me, and we'll get to the Suns in a little bit here, the Phoenix Suns have been the hottest team this postseason, right? They've won nine consecutive playoff games. They are the hottest team in this postseason. But the Atlanta Hawks have been the most impressive team so far this postseason, and that continued again last night. On the road, game one of the Eastern Conference Finals at five-serve form in Milwaukee. Places rocking. Bucks with a huge series win over the Nets to advance to the Eastern Conference Finals for the second time in three years. Maybe you can make the argument Giannis's best chance to get a ring is this year. And in game number one, 
the Illini Hawks ruin the party yet again. They go to Milwaukee on the road, win 116-113. Third consecutive series. Did it with the Knicks in game one. Did it with the Sixers in game one. Do it to the Bucks in game number one where they steal game number one with a road victory. And the reason why, to me, they are so impressive and they are the most impressive team this postseason is because despite the minimal playoff experience they have on the roster, they don't flinch in the big moment. Their poise, their composure, their coolness, if you will, their ability to stay calm, cool, and collected in the big moments, in the postseason where we see players melt, we see players fail, we see players shrivel up. Look at Ben Simmons, what we just saw this past week. A guy who didn't even want to shoot the basketball because the pressure was too much and he was afraid to fail. There is reasons for all of these Hawks players who outside of Clint Capella have never seen a playoff game before this season. There is reasons for them to crumble. There is reasons for them, like we've seen time and time again, to fold under the playoff pressure. And for the Hawks, they continue to do the opposite. They flourish in the big moment. When it's a tight game late, that's when they are at their best. And to me, that is why they are so impressive and the most impressive team this postseason. For their ability to remain calm, never panic, and still operate their offense and their defense like it is a game in January. Like it's a throwaway game in March where, sure, you can win. If you lose, it doesn't matter too much. They haven't shriveled in the big moment. And to me, that's why it's so impressive. Like I said, Suns have been amazing this postseason. The Clippers, what they've done without Kawhi Leonard these last few games, has been great. I give a lot of credit to the Hawks. To me, that's why they've been the most impressive team. I'd love to know, do you agree or disagree? Have the Atlanta Hawks been the most impressive? Not the best. Not the team that's, you know, finals favorites, let's say. They, to me, have been the most impressive team this postseason from their expectations coming into the postseason, how they've been able to exceed them, not once, not I don't want to say get lucky, but not, you know, pull off one of those where they kind of surprise a team. They have, teams have seen them coming. They've known what to expect, and the Hawks still get the win. The most impressive team. If you don't think they're the most impressive team, let's hear why. That's no, that's okay. You trust me. People will agree, uh, disagree with me with more. People will disagree with me way more than they agree. So if you disagree, if you don't think the Hawks have been the most impressive team, you think there's another team that's been more impressive, love to hear the team and why. Facebook, Worldwide Sports Network, Twitter. WWSRN underscore radio at Ryan Hickey show on Twitter as well. But when you look at this roster for the Hawks and you see the lack of playoff experience, and I do think playoff experience does hold some weight. I do think it is an important factor here for teams that want to win a title because as we've seen, the intensity in the playoffs ratchets up. The pressure, the execution, the offense, the defense, the attention to detail is magnified on the big stage to where if you haven't been there before, if you don't know what to expect, it could take some time to get adjusting to. And you look at this Hawks roster, right? The starting five last night for game one of the Eastern Conference Finals against the Bucks was Kevin Herter, who's played a grand total of 13 playoff games all this year. Trey Young also played 13 playoff games all coming this year. John Collins, Bogdan Bogdanovich, same thing. 13 playoff games all this year. Bogdanovich, Collins, Young, Herter, four of the five starters for the Hawks have never played in a postseason game before this season. Clint Capella has played more than anyone. He's been in the postseason every single year since 2015. So he's the only player 
out of the starting five who has been to the playoffs, who knows what it takes to win. And despite the inexperience, the youth, they look like a veteran team out there that knows what they're doing, that's been there before. And it's so impressive because let's also not forget, this isn't like they are one of the better teams in the league and they are at home a ton and they are playing some lesser competition and the skill alone can win out. They have shown poise. They have shown their ability to stay cool, calm, and collected in some hostile arenas. Right? Let's not forget the opening round. MSG was raucous. That place was shaking. And in three games at Madison Square Garden, the Hawks went 2-1. and one. How about Philly? That was another rowdy crowd. New York, very loud and obnoxious. Philly, their crowd, very loud and obnoxious. It's a very tough place to play. And you had the Sixers being one of the best home teams in all the regular season this year. Now, they don't lose, rarely, or they rarely lose, I should say, on their home floor. And the Hawks, in four road games, went 3-1. and one. And now they win the first game in Pfizer 4, going 1-0. and They are 6-2 and two on the road in the playoffs. Again, MSG, Philly, Milwaukee. Three loud places. And for players that haven't experienced that before, impressive to see that they haven't flinched. They haven't folded. They haven't melted. And that starts with really their star, Trey Young, who did it again last night. It's amazing how he always seems to one-up himself every single series we get into. Struggling in Game 7, can't shoot, makes a few big shots, has a few big assists late in Game 7 to help set up the team and help get them to a victory. Well, he wiped away those shooting rolls real quick last night. Dropped a career-high 48 points. And oh yeah, also dished out 11 assists. Helping his teammates, but also scoring himself as well. And here, how about this? This stat is courtesy of Synergy Basketball. This is wild. And this truly shows Trey Young's impact on the court for this offense. So yesterday, we just mentioned, 48 points, 11 assists. According to Synergy Basketball, Trey Young last night either created, assisted, or scored on 80 out of the 108 points Atlanta scored when he was on the floor. 80 out of 108, Trey Young either scored, assisted on, or helped create with a driving kick with the one pass that led to another that led to a basket. That is incredible. 80 out of 108 points. And even with all that creation, even with all that offense running through Trey Young, Milwaukee still didn't have an answer. And it's not like Trey Young compiled these stats in the first quarter, in the second quarter, in the third quarter. He continues to show up late in these games. Just like the entire Hawks team does, which again, under three minutes, under two minutes in a tight game, that seems to be when they are at their best, when they are in their element. Because out of those 48 points, 11 came in the fourth quarter for Trey Young. Even you look, closing the game out, Hawks scored nine points in the foul two minutes, Trey Young had six of them. So he, again, is not only scoring and scoring in bunches, helping set up his teammates, and coming up clutch late. Being the clutch player that Atlanta can, uh, can rely on. But it's not just him. Guys feed off of him. You had John Collins last night. Again. Dominating down low and really helping Atlanta out with a ton of rebounds. A ton of offensive rebounds to help kick out for second chance points. And that happened. 15 rebounds for Collins last night. Five of them on the offensive side. A big corner through which you saw a ton in that Philly series. that He knocks down and cut a four-point lead to a one-point lead late. 
He was great. Again, Clint Capella, another man. Call him the janitor. Call him the dumpster because he is cleaning up the boards again. 19 rebounds for Clint Capella. So it's interesting because, again, this Hawks team, young, inexperienced, and they seem to have that killer instinct that when you look on the other side, when you look at Milwaukee, the Bucks seem to have lacked, for the most part, that killer instinct late. Because it's another close game this postseason that the Bucks, especially their offense, melts it. We were just talking about Trey Young scoring six points in the last two minutes, helping the Hawks, you know, again, generating 80 out of 108 points when he's on the floor. Well, on the, on the opposite, as the game gets closer to crunch time, two minutes, eight seconds left. The only two Bucks points they scored was Giannis free throws. They did not hit a field goal. The final two minutes and eight seconds of the game, which led to a Hawks 9-2 run to finish the game. And again, this isn't an anomaly, unfortunately, for Milwaukee. Now, they've had their moments. Don't get me wrong. Game one of the Heat series, yeah, Chris Middleton hit a huge shot in overtime. But even so, just to get to overtime, you had Miami make a few buckets late and have Milwaukee not close out the game. Game three, more about the Nets not hitting shots than the Bucks putting the game away. Game five, we saw that offense just come off the, you know, the train uh, got off the tracks. So at least in last night's game, we didn't see a total meltdown of the offense in Milwaukee where they don't even know what they're doing. Like there was points in game three, in game five, where the Bucks' offense against the Nets, that is, looked like a chicken with their head cut off. They didn't know what they were doing. They're putting up bad shots. They're running out of the offense. It wasn't like that last night, which, hey, maybe that's a positive for your Bucks fan you want to look at, where the offense was still running the same plays. They were still trying to get rhythm shots. They were getting some open shots, just couldn't hit them. Like Pat Connaughton's three to potentially take the lead was open. Just Pat Connaughton shooting the ball. No offense, Pat. Notre Dame basketball fan myself growing up. I like Pat. He's a great player. But at least the Hawks, or again, in another situation, I should say, where the Hawks offensively come clutch late, defensively come clutch, uh, clutch late. And it's another situation where the Milwaukee Bucks, late in a game, don't get the job done. So that's why, to me, the Hawks have been the most impressive team this postseason. I feel confident saying that. They continue to play these late-game situations like they've been here before. Like they are a grizzled veteran team instead of a young, inexperienced team where four of the five starters on the floor last night haven't played a postseason game before this year. So even with that said, even with the Bucks, or in my mind, the Hawks taking game one, I will still pick the Bucks to win this series in six. I'm not going to get off that pay, uh, prediction. I do think in the end the Bucks will win and go to the finals. But last night, again, just shows, and doesn't take away anything from the Hawks, but last night, again, shows, to me, they are the most impressive team this postseason. Their ability in the big moment to not only shrink, not only crumble, but come up and play their best. They played their best basketball down low. We saw it in, Philly, in the Philly series. We saw it in the Knicks series when they got close a few times. Atlanta pulled away. We saw it with the incredible comebacks. 17-point deficit in Game 4. 26-point deficit in Game 5 against Philly. Game 7 ability to close it out. The Hawks play their best basketball when it matters most. And to me, that is why they are the most impressive team this postseason. It's not a fluke. It's not an anomaly. They haven't done it once. 
They have done it all postseason long. All postseason long. So I'm curious your thoughts. I'm ask you two questions. Have the Bucks? Oh, I'm sorry. Have the Hawks been the most impressive team this postseason? Have they been? Or is there another team in your mind that's been more impressive? Maybe it's the Clippers, still winning without Kawhi Leonard. Maybe it's the Suns, for what they're doing, just running train through the Western Conference right now. Are the Hawks the most impressive team this postseason? And who are you picking to win the series? I'm not getting off my Bucks and six prediction. I'm still staying with Milwaukee. If you're on the fence, or if you did pick Milwaukee, are you flipping after game number one from what you saw to Atlanta? Can the Hawks win this series, or are you still sticking with the Bucks? I'd love to get your thoughts. Again, two ways to contribute. Facebook, Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Twitter, WWSRN underscore radio, at Ryan Hickey Show on Twitter as well. We'll get your thoughts. And when we come back, before last night, the Milwaukee Bucks were the Vegas betting favorite to win the NBA title. Right? Out of the four teams remaining, they were the betting favorite in Vegas to win. Should they be the favorites, or is there another team that should be atop Vegas' list? We'll discuss when the Ryan Hickey Show returns right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. It, it, it's the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Radio Network. Radio Network. Of course my kid's in the right car seat. Well, I think he is. Yeah, my kid's in a booster seat. He was ready to move up. He is ready, right? Her car seat looks like the right size. There are probably rules on when to move up to a booster seat, aren't there? Rear facing, forward facing? I think I have it right. Car crashes are a leading killer of children one to 13. Are your children in the right car seat for their age and size? Don't think you know. Know you know. Go to safercar.gov slash the right seat. I know my child's in the right car seat. Or else I wouldn't get in the driver's seat. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. You don't usually get a stock tip from a 16-year-old, but I'm here to tell you about a different kind of stock. It's called Better Futures. A stop for social change that's not about making money. Instead, you invest to help students like me go to college. This is beyond a simple donation. It's the opportunity for America to invest in its kids and take an active stake in the future of the country. The return on your investment isn't money. What you get back is knowing you protected our potential. So one day, that potential can grow up to become surgeons and architects, executives and engineers, people who can change the future just by being a part of it. My name is Alicia, and I'm your dividend. Invest in better futures with UNCF. Visit uncf.org slash invest. A mind is a terrible thing to waste, but a wonderful thing to invest in. A public service announcement brought to you by UNCF and the Ad Council. This is Namdi Asamoah. I play football for the Philadelphia Eagles, but what I do off the field with United Way might be more important. I'm a volunteer tutor and mentor. Why? Because over a million kids a year drop out of school, and that's not okay. It takes 12 years to create a graduate, but it takes about the same time to create a dropout. And the difference between a child becoming one or the other could be me, or it could be you. Studies show that if we get to these kids earlier, their chances are better. And kids who read well by third grade are more likely to graduate. 
So join me in United Way. Suit up and take the pledge. Become a volunteer reader, tutor, or mentor. Because when a child succeeds, we all succeed. Give, advocate, volunteer, live united. Take the pledge at unitedway.org. Brought to you by United Way, the Ad Council, and the National Football League. It, it, it's the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Welcome back to the Ryan Hickey Show. Right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. And welcome back into the Ryan Hickey Show with you right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. The Atlanta Hawks, the Road Warriors, moved to 6-2 and two in the postseason on the road. Winning in Madison Square Garden, winning in Philly, and now winning in Milwaukee. Very, very, very impressive. For me, they are the most impressive team in the NBA because their youth, because their inexperience. The fact that four out of their five starters to start game one of the Eastern Conference Finals and started almost every game of the playoffs, four of the five starters have never played in the postseason before. And I do think, personally, playoff experience does factor in, does have a role here because as we've seen, as we know, right, a lot of people roll their eyes at the regular season in the NBA, don't take the results, I'll say seriously, but they don't take it too seriously, right? They take it with a grain of salt, um, and then you see in the postseason who is legit and who is not, right? We, we saw that, and I was a believer in the Utah Jazz. We saw their defensive system, especially with Rudy Gobert, get exposed in the postseason, even with a Clipper or even by a Clippers team without Kawhi Leonard. There are plenty of teams, the Sixers you could point to, again, that play really well in the regular season, come postseason time, their style of play, their star players, can't step up, can't get the job done, and get out, you know, have an early exit in the, in the playoffs. And the Hawks, for me at least, were a team coming in where they don't have, again, a ton of playoff experience, so they don't know how big the stage elevates, how much pressure now is on every single possession, offensively, defensively, Weaknesses that maybe you didn't think were too big of a weaknesses that now all of a sudden are getting exposed game in and game out. Adjustments are huge. And even the small details, right? The minute details that maybe the regular season, if you're sloppy with, you can get away with. They don't really rear its ugly head. But we see now every single small detail from setting screens to free throw shooting to inbounding, right? Small, small, small sample size and small areas here. Normally, we wouldn't pay attention to the regular season now become magnified on the postseason uh, stage. And so I kind of thought for that, you know, for that reason, that would kind of hurt the Hawks a little bit. Young team, don't really know the moment. I thought they would be a team that kind of gets swallowed up in the moment. Pick the Knicks in seven to win the series number one in Parks. I thought the Knicks were a tougher team that kind of played a more playoff basketball style. Could not have been more wrong. Pick the Sixers. I thought they were just flat out the better team. Couldn't be more wrong. Pick the Bucks to win in six. And while I'm not getting off that, so far we've seen Atlanta again continue to play their best basketball down the stretch when it matters most, something the Knicks could not do, something the Sixers really struggled with, right? They could not close out games in that series. And now we're seeing the Bucks. Not the first time the Bucs have struggled down low, late in games, to score points and to get stops on the defensive end. Both sides for Milwaukee, they've struggled with at times in this postseason. And again, it happened last night. So that's why, to me at least, the fact that 
The Hawks have continued to do this all postseason long. Despite the fact that they don't have any playoff experience, to me, is what's so impressive with this Atlanta team. Now, if you want to like it from a Milwaukee perspective, again, we just talked about another addition or another situation for them in where they don't make shots late. Where they struggle with putting teams away. Whether it's Chris Middleton missing some shots, who did have you know a solid fourth quarter. Late missed a few shots. Pat Connaughton missing shots. Giannis not even getting many opportunities. But as we know, outside of 10 feet, he has struggled with consistency. Carl Falk, uh, Carl Falk excuse me, writes on Facebook, Milwaukee's offense leans on Middleton's fadeaways and Giannis's mid-range, nothing else. And he is right about that. And at times in the Nets series, we saw in Game 7, it worked. We've seen in Game 1 against the Heat, by Chris Middleton taking over late, it worked with that incredible mid-range jumper, basically at the buzzer to help the Heat, or help the Bucks, I should say, win Game 1 over the Heat on their way to a sweep. But that's also part of the issue for Milwaukee that you see with Atlanta, again, which makes them so impressive, is there are so many different guys on the floor for Atlanta hurt you. It's not just Trey Young. It's John Collins in the corner. Not only getting rebounds, but drilling threes. It's Clint Capella cleaning up the glass, putting you know second-chance points out, and he was the guy who had put, uh, collected the rebound, put up the layup, and gave Atlanta the lead that they never relinquished. Bogdan Bogdanovich, who is dealing with the knee injury, so you give him credit for working out and working through. But in that Knicks series, hit tons and tons of tough threes to keep Atlanta in and give them the lead. So it's not just Trey Young. It's not just the Trey Young show. It's everyone on this Atlanta roster contributing in one way or another. Kevin Herter in Game 7, 27 points. Picked up Trey Young when he was having a terrible shooting night. So you have Atlanta, again, to me, doing it from all different angles playing their best basketball late, and getting contributions from everyone on the roster. It's not Dallas where it's a Luka Doncic show where he's taking every shot late. He is the one creating the offense. He is the one where the Mavericks will win or lose based on how Luka plays. This Hawks team is deep. They're getting contributions from everybody. And again, as Carl points out, for Milwaukee on the flip side, it's the Giannis and Chris Middleton show. And listen, hey, most of the time that works out well. But as we've seen, the biggest issue with the Bucs, and especially with those two players late, is their consistency or lack thereof. Chris Middleton, can't get on him too much. But again, he's a guy that has gone cold in the playoffs. He's a guy who can be a streaky shooter where some games he'll put up 38 points, other games he'll put up 15 on like 5 of 20 shooting. He's a guy that, you know, fluctuates with how he's shooting and how his efficiency is. Giannis, as we know, when he's driving, when he's being aggressive, that's what gets the offense going. But sometimes he could be too reliant, too stubborn to continue to take mid-range jumpers, three-pointers, and that could throw the entire offense off. Drew Holiday, not consistent enough shooting the ball. And there's not many guys you can rely on consistently. And we saw with Pat Connaughton last night, airballing that three from Milwaukee, where you feel great of, hey, if Giannis is double-covered, if they try to take Chris Middleton away and you need a jumper, There's not many other guys right now you feel comfortable with dishing the ball off to. And we kind of saw that last night towards the end of the game. Atlanta did a great job defensively. And the uh, Bucs had no answers. Couldn't hit a uh, bucket. Went uh, over from the field. Did not hit a field goal. Final two minutes, eight seconds of that game as they end up do losing that game 
in game number one to the Hawks. So again, is Atlanta the most impressive team in your mind? And who are you taking? Bucks or Hawks after game number one? If you're a Bucks backer like me, are you sweating? Are you changing your pick? Or are you going to stay strong? I'm still sticking Bucks and six. But to me, again, last night kind of reinforces the fact, hammers it in, or maybe makes it whole. Atlanta is the most impressive team this postseason. So again, love to hear your thoughts. You want to get in the conversation? Love to have you. Facebook, Worldwide Sports Run Network. Twitter, WWSRN underscore radio at Ryan Hickey Show on Twitter as well. So coming into or before last night's game, the Milwaukee Bucks, speaking of the Bucks, were finals favorites. They were the betting favorite in Vegas to win the title. And I'm curious, do you agree with that? Should the Bucks be with the final four teams, Suns, Clippers, Bucks, Hawks? Are the Bucks in Vegas' eyes, the team to beat? Because to me, the answer is no. Even before last night, now I, I promise you this is not revisionist history. I did write this segment before even the outcome of last night's game. But for me, the team to beat in, in the NBA right now, out of the four teams, is the Suns. The Phoenix Suns, I think it's safe to say, are winning the NBA title. This, the postseason is now a big enough sample size where both the Bucks and the Suns have played 12 games. Where I feel comfortable in saying right now the Suns have something the Bucks do not. Consistency. We just talked about it. Some games the Bucks' offense looks great. Other games they go into show themselves. They can't find the basket. They can't hit water from a boat. The Suns don't have that problem. The Suns are consistent night in, night out. That's right to me. I think the Suns are winning the title. They are the finals favorites. They are the title favorites for me. I am picking the Phoenix Suns to win the NBA title. And again, let's, let's talk about consistency. Because there's really four different reasons why right now when it comes to the discussion between the Bucks and the Suns. Because really that's the two teams. If you want to talk about who should win the finals, the two teams that are at the top of the list. Four reasons. Quickly here. When we talk about consistency. How about, let's look at just some raw numbers, right? If you are a raw number, data kind of guy, I have proof for you of why I think the Suns have been more consistent. Let's look at points per game this postseason. Again, both teams have played 12, 12 postseason games. The Suns have scored more points. 111 to 108 from Milwaukee. So, on average, Suns are scoring a little bit better than Milwaukee. Offense a little bit more consistent. How about field goal shooting, right? Because, again, that also kind of helps team's efficiency. Are they actually making a ton of shots? Or are they just taking a ton? And eventually the numbers get up just because you're throwing up so many that some got to go in. Suns as a team are shooting 49% from the field this postseason compared to the Bucks shooting 45. Three-point field goal percentage. Suns, 37 and a half, so decent clip. Milwaukee, just 30% as a team from three. How about free throw percentage? That's again, we've seen... Plenty of missed free throws cost teams games, cost teams series. Philly, Los Angeles so far, Clippers with game number two. Suns are the best free throw shooting team this postseason, 87%. Well, the Bucks at 71%. Assists. Is the ball moving? Everyone getting involved. Suns, 25 assists per game. Bucks, 21. And finally here, turnovers, right? You're taking care of the ball, assisted turnover ratio, making good passes, not giving your opponent second chances and third chances and extra opportunities. Suns turn it over just 11 times a game. Bucks turn it over 13 times a game. So whether it's points per game, field goal percentage, three-point field goal percentage, free throw percentage, assists, turnovers, 
the Suns have the Bucks beat in literally every single category. So if you're a numbers guy, if you want to compare the raw data, in a sample size that is the same, 12 playoff games for the Suns, 12 playoff games for the Bucks. The Suns to me have shown so far through this postseason, they are the more consistent team than Milwaukee. So I'm curious. Those numbers alone, I do, trust me, I have more facts here. Do those numbers alone, are they enough to sway you in the direction of the Suns? If you're on the fence, if you're a Milwaukee believer, is that enough to swing on the side to say, hey, the Bucks will, uh, the Suns, excuse me, should be final favorites. The F- Suns will win the finals. If not, don't worry. I-, I have some more examples for you. How about this past series? Maybe it's unfair that I'm highlighting and pinpointing one series in which the Bucks won, but I'll ask you this question. The Bucks beat the Nets in seven games. Were you actually impressed with the Bucks that series? For me, as someone who picked the Bucks in six, who thought, you know what, all things equal, James Harden's on the court, Kyrie Irving's on the court, Kevin Durant's on the court, I still thought Milwaukee was the better team, and I thought they would win this series. As the series got later, as we watched game three develop sloppily, as we watched game four and Kyrie goes down and James Harden leaves after 43 seconds of game number one, and then you have game five with Kevin Durant playing basically with a one-legged James Harden, and no Kyrie Irving. All right, I thought, all right, it's a wrap. Bucks and six, right? Bucks and six. And to watch what Kevin Durant was able to do, willing that Nets team to a game five victory, and probably, despite the fact that the Bucks had their big three, fully healthy, Giannis, Middleton, Drowding, basically Kevin Durant's playing one on three, still did enough to win the game. I'll be honest. For me, that series now, even though Milwaukee won in seven, that series is more about the Nets' injuries derailing this series than the Bucs impressing, than the Bucs winning it. Like, I don't think it's a hot take. I don't think it's crazy to say that if the Nets are healthy, even somewhat healthy where two out of the three stars are on the court, I think the Nets win that series. And I've been a Nets doubter. But that's how little Milwaukee impressed me, how little they gave me confidence that they could get past a Nets team. Like, that offense, we saw down the stretch of most games was not did not give you confidence. They didn't look like they knew what they were doing. They looked flummoxed. They looked afraid of the moment. Game number five, especially, with Giannis taking a fadeaway jumper on James Harden, who had one leg, with Giannis dropping the ball after looking what like he was not expecting the ball to be passed in from Chris Middleton. The Bucks looked like a team that was playing not to lose instead of playing to win. And that's kind of why after game five, I was like, you know what? Like I can't see Milwaukee two games in a row late getting stops and getting points needed to win this game. And they impressed me in Game 7. We talked about it on Monday. I was very impressed with the way the Bucs responded in Game number 7. I know there's no shot they were going to win that game. And they made buckets late. And over time, they got stops and got the few buckets they needed in order to win and advance that series. But again, not impressed. Not feeling good. And then even last night now, you see this team with, again, unable to consistently close out games. Phoenix doesn't have that problem. The Suns close out games. So yeah, that honestly, that series, even though you beat the Nets, even though you beat the team that everyone was ready to crown the champs, to me, that was more about the Nets' injuries losing that series than the Bucks actually winning it. So even when now going in, in, you know, even diving more into players, you know, look at the Suns, similar to the Hawks. A team with very little playoff experience, right? DeAndre Ayton, Devin Booker, Mikael Bridges. A lot of those guys haven't been in the playoffs before. 
But despite that, similar to the Hawks, they have shined in the big moment. Devin Booker is averaging 28 points per game, shooting 48% from, uh, percent from the field, 38% from three. So he's scoring at a high clip. He's efficient in doing so. I could score from anywhere on the court. At the rim, mid-range from three. He has it all. And in closeout games, again, the hardest to win, right? When a team's on the brink, whether it's the Lakers in game six, whether it was the Nuggets in game four, Devin Booker upped his game to help close out the series. 47 points against the Lakers in game six. 34 points versus the Nuggets. And that was out, uh, you know, he's overshadowed by Chris Paul's incredible 37-point effort in that game four sweep over the Nuggets. But Devin Booker has been a guy who has elevated his game in the biggest moments. DeAndre Eaton. I'll be honest, part of the reason why I was believing more in the Clippers, I was believing more in the Jazz to come out of the West than I was the Suns, DeAndre Eaton was a guy I looked at and pointed to as he's had and he's grown in year three a ton. But now when it comes to the postseason, when you're going against Rudy Gobert, when you're going against Anthony Davis, like those guys are grown men. They are going to work, I thought, DeAndre Eaton. So whether it was you meet the Jazz in the conference finals, where you meet, as we saw, the Lakers in round number one, I did not think DeAndre Eaton would be able to elevate his game to keep up and not allow those guys to basically dominate down low. Even though Anthony Davis had a, a few decent games before getting hurt, game number one, DeAndre Eaton was the best player on, that, on the floor. And for this postseason, he's been way better than I expected. I'll give him a lot of credit. He's averaging 16 and 10 this postseason, 16 points, 10 rebounds on average. Shooting. This is <laughs> he is shooting 72% from the field. Historic. First player in the shot clock era to average 70% field goal percentage in a 12-game postseason span. Think about that. Not even Shaq. Guys who live at the room and you know eat dunks for a living can do that. DeAndre Eaton, the first guy to average above 70% field goal percentage in a 12-game postseason span since the shot clock era first started. He's been tremendous. Chris Paul, especially coming after that shoulder injury and in the Nuggets series a ton when he starts and seems to be getting healthier, has been great. And even role players like Cameron Payne, who step in with Chris Paul and the health and safety protocols, backup point guard and campaign, Comes off the bench, starts game one, starts game two, and then filling in for Chris Paul in game number two, scores a career high 29 points, does show efficiently, shooting 12 to 24 from the field, dishes out nine assists, so still having the playmaking and facilitating role that Chris Paul had with zero turnovers. So even the guys who fill in for great players are coming in and playing really, really well. And oh, yeah, let's not forget Chris Paul, assuming there's no setback tonight will return to the starting lineup. He's out of the health and safety protocols. As long as there's no setback between now, basically 12 hours from now, he'll be back. So you have the Suns as the healthiest team in the NBA. There's no injuries. Now look, you can look at the Bucs and say, okay, outside Dante DiVincenzo, they're healthy as well, and they are. But the Suns have every single person. And the last thing I'll ask you here, if you're still not on board with the Suns winning the finals, being the team to beat in the NBA playoffs right now. How about this? Because we know the NBA is a, a league of stars, right? You have to have a star, or in this case, multiple stars, to, to have a chance to win a title. Let's look at the big threes, quote-unquote, if you will, for both Phoenix and Milwaukee. Excuse me. Would you rather right now, have you had the option, would you rather take Chris Paul, Devin Booker, DeAndre Ayton, or would you have, rather have Giannis, 
Drew Holiday, Chris Middleton. Take a second. Think it over. CP3, Booker, Aiton, big three for Phoenix. Giannis, Chris Middleton, Drew Holiday, big three for Milwaukee. Uh, you know what I'm taking? I'm taking the big three from Phoenix. They are consistent. They score. They play really well down, you know, late in games, offensively, defensively. They have been the better and more consistent trio than the Bucks trio, than the Bucks big three. So you add that all up. Big three, I'd rather take Phoenix's over Milwaukee's. Healthiest team in the league. The young players are playing their best in the biggest moments. And you look at the raw numbers. Suns have been better. It all adds up to me. And Vegas before last night disagreed. But it all adds up to me as to why the Phoenix Suns right now not only will win the NBA Finals, should be the Finals favorites. They absolutely should. So I'm curious your thoughts. Do you agree? Are the Suns now the team to beat? Are they going to win the NBA Finals? I think yes. Love to hear your thoughts. Facebook, Worldwide Sports Network, Twitter, WWSRN underscore radio, at Ryan Hickey Show on Twitter as well. We'll get your thoughts. And when we come back, Pro Football Network put out their top 10 NFL teams heading to 2021. Let's say it's interesting. Let's say we both, we or I should say, disagree with their list wholeheartedly. I'll tell you who the teams are and how I would rank the top 10 teams in the NFL when the Ryan Hickey Show does return on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. It, it, it's the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Welcome back to the Ryan Hickey Show. Right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Fifteen minutes from now, on the uh, on the Ryan Hickey Show on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network, I have a solution for baseball that will make pitchers happy, batters happy, managers happy. I think overall baseball happy. This is the first week that they are checking pitchers for illegal substances. Pitchers aren't happy, batters aren't happy, managers are getting tossed. We have solutions, hopefully. So I'll tell you what that solution is again in 15 minutes or so from now. But we do have some football to get to because I don't know about you, I am a sucker for lists. Top 10 lists, top 5 lists, power rankings. Never too early for me. I love rankings. I love lists because they're easy to see. They're easy to kind of discuss and talk about um, in a coherent manner. So Pro Football Network is a network started by former ESPN host Trey Wingo. And they put out their power rankings of the top 10 NFL teams heading into 2021. They had the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, number one. Kansas City Chiefs, two. Bills, three. Packers, four. Again, with the assumption Aaron Rodgers is there. Browns, five. Ravens, six. Rams, Seahawks at eight. Titans at nine. Cowboys at 10. Bucks, Chiefs, Bills, Packers, Browns surround out the top five. Six through 10, Ravens, Rams, Seahawks, Titans, Cowboys. Wowza. Okay, there's a lot there. A lot of teams I disagree with even being in the top 10. Some teams rank too high. A few teams rank too low. So figure the easiest way to do this. I'd love to hear your thoughts. So you can comment Facebook, Worldwide Sports Network, Twitter, WWSRN underscore radio, at Ryan Hickey Show on Twitter as well. Whether you want to rank the top five, top 10, maybe comment about a team that you think is not getting enough respect. Maybe comment on a team that's getting overhyped. That is overrated. 
How do you look at this top 10 list of teams? Which teams are ranked too high? Which teams are ranked too low? I'll give you my top 10 and kind of explain quickly here. Reasoning for some. So I will agree with the top two for Pro Football Network. They have the Bucks at one, Chiefs two. I would agree with that. Very, by the way, very close. If we're looking at tiers here, tier one is only Tampa Bay and Kansas City. That's it. Those to me are by far and away the two best teams in the NFL. Chiefs are going a little bit under an offensive line rebuild there. So that kind of, for me at least, puts the Bucks at number one because they are returning literally everybody. Everyone that put on a Bucks uniform last year essentially is returning in 2021. A team that won the Super Bowl, hey, pretty good if you're returning everyone. I thought it was impressive. The Chiefs, I believe it was, they returned 22 out of 24 stars if you include the kicker and the punter from their Super Bowl team two years ago. The Bucks return, I think it's everyone on the two deep. I, I believe it's a sad. It is crazy. That to me, Bucks number one, I think they deserve that respect. Tom Brady, I think, will even have a better year in 2021 than he did in 2020. Think about it. The playbook now he understands, the, the players he understands, the system, everything now. He's not learning on the fly for really three quarters of the year. He was still trying to get used to the system, get used to the players, kind of get all the familiarity down. He still threw 40 touchdowns with that said, by the way. Really working through three quarters of the year, being uncomfortable. But hey, that's Tom Brady. That's why he's the best to ever do it. Bucks one, Chiefs two. I have the Rams at number three. I'm a big believer, not only in this Rams team, I'm a big Matthew Stafford fan. I think he is the perfect fit for this offense. Because you look at the Rams, what led their what led to their decline last year, especially, they were great everywhere except the quarterback position, right? Receivers were really solid. The run game's elite. The offensive line is solid. Defensive line led by Aaron Donald. Who's blocking them? No one. Linebacker, secondary, number one ranked defense in almost every statistical category that matters last year. A tremendous run defense. Tremendous running offense. And again, Jared Goff, I thought, held the Rams back from what could have been a Super Bowl run. That's how talented... That's how good this Rams roster is. And I like Matthew Stafford. And to me, he's a guy who really got hung out to dry in Detroit. No offensive line help. No running game help. Not many receivers to throw the ball to. And really, it was only one at a time. Whether it was Kevin, uh, Calvin Johnson or no one else. Or Kenny Galladay with not much other help besides him. I am excited now for Matthew Stafford for the first time in his career to go to a team with a great defense, with a great running game, with really good depth at receiver, and with a great and smart offensive mind coaching him. Like to me, Matthew Stafford is going to unlock this Rams offense. I think they're going to be the third best team in the NFL. I am super excited, super bullish on a like, big year coming. I think we're going to have a Bucks rams NFC title game. And that's going to be one for the ages. Number four here is to me the Green Bay Packers. Now, this is, I will go right now because I am someone who still believes Aaron Rodgers won't be on the Packers week one. With that said, because he's on the roster right now, because he is technically still a member of the Green Bay Packers, I will give him and the Packers is the respect that, hey, with Aaron Rodgers on the roster, this is still a really good football team. But like I said, I think that's going to change. I don't think Aaron Rodgers is going to play. I think he will be traded at some point, probably, I would guess right now, to the Broncos. They seem to be the most aggressive team. They seem to be the most team in need of a good quarterback and a big splash this late in the year. So this is right now, assuming 
Packer, uh, Aaron Rodgers is there, although I don't think he will be Packers to be number four. Bills number five, really good team. A little worried about their defense, especially their front seven. Secondary is solid, but they don't really get after the, the passer that great. Their run defense is okay, not not great. Really doesn't you know leave you all, uh, or leave something to be desired. Bills to me is still number five, solid team. Josh Allen, I think, won't repeat what he did in 2020, but we'll come still pretty close and have a solid season. I have the Browns at number six, which I think is one spot is one spot lower than what Pro Football Network has. I am really excited for Cleveland this year. Really excited. I think they will they will have a solid, really good year. Because again, similar to the Rams, they are solid at almost every single position. Tremendous offensive line. Great running game, solid depth at receiver, solid defense, addressed their biggest weakness, which was secondary in the offseason, took two guys on the Rams, ironically, Troy Hill and, and uh, John Johnson, to help address their secondary needs. That was the biggest weakness for the team last year. And I do think Baker Mayfield's going to have a big season in Cleveland. First time in his career, he is having the same offense, same offensive coordinator, same system, same play call, same terminology. As he's entering year number four, first time that he'll have all that continuity from one season to the other. So my top five, Bucks, Chiefs, Rams, Packers, Bills, Browns six, Ravens seven. I think, again, another big year for Lamar Jackson. Little little worried about some of the losses they had um, on the offensive line with Orlando Brown Jr. getting traded, Matthew Judon leaving in for agency. But Ravens will be another really good team this year. Seahawks at eight. I like Russell Wilson a lot. I think he's a top three quarterback in the NFL. There, I am interested to see how this year goes. Like, they have Shane Waldron now, the new offensive coordinator. Everything Russell Wilson has said has been positive about Shane Waldron. Pete Carroll's make it seem like we're, we as a media were truly overblowing this rift that Pete Carroll and Russell Wilson had. Hearing Russell Wilson's press conference to me doesn't exactly exude confidence that all is okay in Seattle. Like, I am very interested to see. I think the regular season will be fine, which is why I have the Seahawks at number eight. To me, that when it comes down to the postseason, it kind of what we talked about with the NBA, where the pressure kind of, you know, it's a pressure cooker in the playoffs. Same thing in the NFL. And I wonder if we have a similar exit, if Russell Wilson truly isn't allowed to run the offense the way he wants, and we kind of see that boil over into a bad loss in the playoffs, like we did last year with the Rams, with John Wolford and Jared Goff with a broken thumb still beating Russell Wilson and the Seahawks, I am fascinated to see how this goes. But regular season-wise, I do think for the most part, they will get along. They will still be a really good team. That team is solid um, all around again. Russell Wilson, when you have one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL, you have a shot, and that's what the Seahawks do have. They are at number eight. I have two teams now, nine and ten, that were not listed in Pro Football Network's top ten list. I have the 49ers at number nine. And let's not forget, this is a tremendous roster that's pretty much intact from when they went to the Super Bowl two years ago. They still have a ton of the main contributors that helped lead that team to the Super Bowl two years ago back on the scene. Now, the issue is health, right? Because a lot of those guys, I mean, I, I can't even list all the injuries right now that San Francisco suffered last year because I'd be here till 11 a.m. The, the rest of the show will be taken up talking about the 49er injuries that they suffered in 2020. So they are back. I don't think, now this is going to go on a limb here, I don't think they will have the same injury luck or lack thereof uh, this year that they did last year. 
Jimmy G, as long as he's healthy, I mean, he's solid, 24-8 as a starter. To me, Kyle Shanahan right now is the best coach in the NFL without a Super Bowl. So you add that all up to me. I really do think the 49ers will have a really good season. This roster is tremendous. An incredible run game. The offensive line is really good. Defense is solid. Get after the passer. Solid secondary. Good linebackers. To me, San Francisco, again, is a very well-rounded team that as long as injuries don't get in the way, they'll be one of the best teams in the NFL. And number 10, I'm really not trying to be a homer here. I have the Colts in number 10. Similar to San Francisco, similar to the Rams, this roster the Colts have isn't you know one of the best in the NFL, but it's pretty damn good. They are well-rounded. They continue to build the defensive line. Their offense line is elite. Their run game is great. Receivers are solid when they're healthy. Secondary is a weakness, but again, if injuries don't hurt them too much, their depth is okay. Linebackers are good. Coaching is really good. Like the Colts are just an all-around really solid team. And I am a believer. Carson Wentz have a big bounce back year in Indy, have a really solid season. Because we, what we saw from Frank Reich here, forget just what he's done in Indianapolis. First, I mean, what he's done, excuse me, with Philly, with Carson Wentz back in 2017, right? Look at what he's done in Philly. He has had now three quarterbacks in three years. It's going to be four quarterbacks in four years that he's been the head coach for the Colts. Andrew Luck in 2018, you had Jacob Brissett in 2019, and you had Phil Rivers last year. All three of those guys, now Brissett's a little tougher because he didn't really play too much, so it's tough to say he had a career just because, well, now he's finally playing. But all three of those guys had some of the best seasons of their careers in the one-year Frank Wright coaching, right? Andrew Luck was tremendous. I believe it was 39 touchdown passes, the number he threw in the first year after coming off shoulder surgery where he missed all the 2017 season. Jacoby Brissett stepped in and played nicely until he hurt his knee against the Steelers, and the Colts were in positions or in a playoff position until they crumbled late in the year, and Phil Rivers was way better than I honestly I expected. Phil Rivers was efficient. He was making the right reads. He wasn't doing too much. He was making the right throws. Frank Reich was making it easy for him. He basically geared his entire offense towards Philip Rivers and his lack of mobility. So he's able to change his game plans on the fly. I think he'll do that again with Carson Wentz. And I believe he will have success going back to the old Philly days. I believe Carson Wentz will have a solid season. That, to me, why I have the Colts at number 10. Not a believer in the Titans. Just the way their offense runs, I'm sorry. I just... When it's not like it's schemed up the way it is where the Rams do it with deception and do it with smart scheming. Same thing with the 49ers because those are two run-heavy teams. Even the Ravens as well, right? Three run-heavy teams I have in the top 10. The Titans just really literally smash-mouth football. Turn around, hand it to Derrick Henry. There's not much fancy movement going on. There's not great scheming going on. It is just we're just going to bulldoze you. And I do think after a while that will catch up to Derrick Henry and the Titans. And if Derrick Henry's not running, forget it. I'm sorry. Ryan Tannehill, to me, is not a guy I can believe in. Even now with Julio Jones and A.J. Brown, one of the best wide receiver duos in the NFL, I don't think, and I'm really not a believer, this Titans team make the playoffs, to be honest. I don't think they will. And the Cowboys, same thing. I'm sorry. This defense stinks. I understand now they got a new defensive coordinator. They bring in Dan Quinn. They fire Mike Nolan. This Cowboys team, every single year, we do this song and dance. The Cowboys roster is incredible, and I've been guilty of it too. Two years ago, I thought the Cowboys were going to win the division. I kept saying it every single week, and they every single week kept blowing it and eventually lost to the Eagles, who did win that. Did win that division at 9-7. and seven. 
despite all the injuries that they had. I just can't look at this Cowboys team anymore and think they're actually good until they do so. I got, I'm done looking at it on paper and saying, this team should be good. Because they, they should be good. They have talent. They never put it together. I'm not believing. Pro Football Network has them as number 10. I don't have my top 10. So let's do your thoughts. Again, their top 10, Bucks, Chiefs, Bills, Packers, Browns, Ravens, Rams, Seahawks, Titans, Cowboys. Yours truly's top 10. Bucks and Chiefs, number one and two. Rams, three. Packers, four. Bills, five. Six through 10. Browns, Ravens, Seahawks, 49ers, Colts. Who's in the top 10? Who shouldn't be in the top 10? Who am I overrating? Who am I not giving enough love to? Love to your thoughts on these top 10 NFL power rankings heading into 2021. So we got your thoughts. Facebook, Worldwide Sports Network, Twitter. WWSRN underscore radio at Ryan Hickey Show on Twitter as well. When we come back, a solution for baseball. Pitchers are upset. Hitters are upset. Managers are upset. It all has equal to one big clown show, if you will. One big event in Major League Baseball this week that has now that they're finally checking pitchers for illegal substances. I don't think that this can last all season long. So I have a solution that everyone, I believe at least, would be on board with. I'll tell you what that solution is when the Ryan Hickey Show returns in three minutes on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. It, it, it's the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Radio Network. Radio Network. Welcome back Welcome to the back Ryan Hickey Show. Show. Right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. And welcome back in to the Ryan Hickey Show right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Oh, man, what a total banger this song is. High school, this was the jam. And I am someone, I don't know about you, I am someone who listens to a song on repeat 24-7. And this was blasting my high school days all day, every day. Hit it on repeat, hit it again, and let's do it again. Enrique Inglés, what a total banger. So we got to bring this back from the dead. I like it was a total hit. If it was up to me, I put it in the Music Hall of Fame. Now, a lot of people hate my music taste, so I, I understand that that's a very, I'm sure, unpopular opinion. But at least for me, if I had to rank my top songs ever, I like it's on there. So, you know, we're going to bring it back here. We're going to bring some, some classic tunes here back on the show. Starting with Enrique Iglesias, and I like it, uh, Music Hall of Fame, Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. If it was up to me. Now, it's not up to me. And probably for the better, it's not up to me because, like I said, my music tastes are top 40 uh, radio songs. That's my jams. That's where, you know, that's kind of my wheelhouse, if you will. And not many people like that. So I'll stick to sports, which is what I know. How about that? We are coming to you live from the Big Italy Pizzeria Studios, whether it's great pizza, hot heroes, and phenomenal dinners. Check out Big Italy Pizzeria, or I'm sorry, check out BigItalyPizza.com for a location near you. So Major League Baseball this week, Finally started implementing their new policy about pitchers not being allowed to use the sticky stuff, right? It's been the hot button topic for really the last month. Major League Baseball at the beginning of the year did a study, seeing spin rates, looking at how the, the pitchers are gripping the ball, throwing the ball, seeing how batters are reacting to it. And as we've seen for the first two months of the year, batters have struggled mightily, right? Batting averages are close to all-time lows. Not a ton of runs being scored. A lot of strikeouts. Not good for the game. Pitchers have been dominating. They feel like there was a no-hitter at one point every single night. 
It's becoming so common that you almost kind of get numb to it, which is crazy to think. So MLB took action. They gave out a warning. Hey, we're going to start cracking down on pitchers using illegal substances. They came out saying, now starting July, uh, sorry, June 21st, which was Monday, no pitcher can use any substance outside of the rosin bag behind the mound. That is it. No sticky or spider tack, no pine tar, no sunscreen and rosin. That is it. Rosin or nothing. We're going dry. Bare bones here. And also, we're doing a cold turkey because July, you know, June 21st, middle of the season, you've been pitching with this stuff for two months. Now, just like that, you got to stop. Now, as you could imagine, it has been quite the week so far in baseball. Tuesday was a day. Now, I'll be honest. I thought it was great theater. I found it hilarious that you had Joe Girardi, the Phillies manager, asking umpires to check Max Scherzer's hair. That's right. This is where we've gotten so far. Two days into the checks, Joe Girardi is asking umpires to check Max Scherzer's hair to see if he has any sticky substances in his hair that maybe he's concealing that's not on his glove, that's not on his hat, that's not on his belt, that umpires have been checking pitchers for every few innings. That led to an epic meltdown where Scherzer's throwing his glove on the ground, throwing his hat on the ground, taking his belt off, basically ready to strip down like it's a TSA pre-check. Because he's so upset that Joe Girardi, in the middle of the inning, is saying, hey, check this guy, check his hair, see if he's anything in there. It didn't stop there, because a few hours later, right, after you had the epic stare down from Max Scherzer coming off the mound, and then you had Joe Girardi trying to fight Nationals pitch, uh, coaches, coming out there, challenging Kevin Long to a fight, talking to Davey Martinez. It got crazy, and it was hilarious to watch as a neutral observer. Great theater. And then... A few hours later, you had ace pitcher Sergio Romo, reliever, comes in, gets out of the inning, walking back. Umpires, all right, hey, we just got to check in, make sure there's nothing on you. And he takes it even further than Max Scherzer takes it. Hat on the ground, glove on the ground, rips the belt completely off, drops his pants to his knees. Check me. So it's been, let's say, a contentious week, to say the least. Now, ironically, Rob Manfred, the organizer of this, all right, the commissioner of, of baseball who started this study, who helped devise a system to prevent pitchers from cheating, helped put in and implement this system of umpires checking pitchers on the regular. Again, like you're going through security, get on an airplane. It's even tighter than that. He was talking to the Athletic yesterday. He did, he did a sit-down interview with them. And... <laughs> Oh, Rob Manfred. He was asked, how's it going so far? Two days. This is on the heels of the Joe Girardi, Max Scherzer incident, uh, Sergio Romo throwing every, basically stripping down. He said, it's gone very well so far. I would disagree with that, Rob. I don't think that, again, while it's been hilarious and I have laughed, and I think people are talking about baseball more than they would if this was not going on. I don't think this is going very well. But just because you, you're not happy with something, I feel like you have to have a solution, right? If I don't think something is going well, well, you got to have an answer instead of just complaining that, hey, this is not the way it should be done. So I have an answer. I have a solution in my mind that MLB should implement right at the All-Star break that would have pitchers be happy, would have batters be happy, would have managers be happy, would have all of baseball in my mind actually happy with these new rules. Here's, here's my solution. I'd love to hear if you have any solutions. Please, Facebook, Worldwide, Sports Network, Twitter, WWSRN underscore radio at Ryan Hickey Show on Twitter as well. We have seen pitchers, we have seen teams now devise 
illegal substances and use all these different creations to make some sort of concoction to give pitchers the best grip possible, increase their spin rates, help their ball go faster out of their hands, help them have more break on their curveballs and their sliders. It's gone to the extreme. What if Major League Baseball themselves, the governing body of baseball, created their own sticky stuff? They distributed it, or distribute it, excuse me, to every single team, every single pitcher, and that be the only substance used. So they now are providing to pitchers the only substance that they could use to have a grip on the baseball. Now, here is, is why I think this would work out for everyone. Pitchers, you have now the ability to grip the baseball and you have some sort of familiarity. It's not as extreme. It's not as sticky as spider tack or some of the other illegal substances you can use. But you have a little grip. You don't feel like you're holding a cue ball in your hand and you don't know where the ball is going. Hitters, if you feel it's unfair that pitchers are or you're spinning the ball the way they are, but you're also concerned. There are players, especially, you know, for example, uh, being a Mets fan myself, Pete Alonso spoken out when these rules were first introduced. He was concerned that pitchers are going to lose control and more players are going to be hit, and he's afraid he's going to get hit in the head. Right? If pitchers can't control the ball, they're throwing a curveball, and you're not exactly sure where it's going. That's a scary thing with fastballs and curveballs coming in at 100 miles an hour, 90 miles an hour. And if you can't control it, because now you don't have a, a good grip on the baseball, well, hitters were concerned that, hey, maybe I'll start getting hit more. Maybe, you know, I give one hit to the dome. That, that could be it. Like, that could be serious. So you had some pitchers, uh, some hitters, excuse me, were unhappy with the changes. Obviously, managers now are losing their mind because now every time a pitcher blows on his hand, licks his fingers, runs his ha- uh, hand through his hair, tugs his belt, tucks his shirt in, you're paranoid, right? These rules have made you now paranoid where everything you, th- you know, a pitcher does, maybe you think they're cheating in one way or another to skirt the rules. So everyone is paranoid. But now if you at least have Major League Baseball form their own creation, nothing crazy, right? Like, like we heard a lot of pitchers say their popular mixture was sunscreen and rosin just to get a good grip on the baseball because these new balls that are rubbed up and given out or, you know, are very dry, slippery, tough to get a grip on them. As we know, baseball changes the baseball every other year, so it's tough to kind of get a good feel of the ball in your hand. You allow now something very minimal, sticky-wise, but you get you get some sort of grip. It would help pitchers because, honestly, right, we, we've seen now pitchers complain about it. And it the fact that it's midseason already had to change something is not fair. So at least if you have major baseball now, create their own concussion. It's not extreme that gives pitchers some grip, but gives hitters a chance to feel comfortable in the play because you, you know that, all right, pitchers still have, they know where the ball is going, but it's not an unfair advantage where they're spinning the ball at a rate that you can't catch up to and having balls break at angles that it's impossible to hit at. Then they give everyone to win. And learning from the Astros situation, because I know what you could say, right? Oh, some teams will get it and then they can add their own stuff into it and some teams will have stickier substances than others. I mean, we have now, because of the Astros technology scanner, right, where they're using the video room to relay in real time what pitch is coming, you now have hall monitors at every stadium preventing this from happening, right? You have people monitoring, making sure that teams aren't using video feeds for illegal purposes. So why not have sticky stuff security? Every team or, you know, in every stadium have uh, have monitors there home dugout, away dugout, in the bullpen, make sure that, hey, the stuff we're giving you, that's all, you know, that's all you're using. Not adding anything into it. You're not maybe doing a little bait and switch and, and taking the bin we give you and putting something else in there and using a different bin to get a stickier grip. Sticky stuff security. So that way, the, the, the sticky stuff that baseball is using 
isn't getting abused. You're not having another cheating situation like we saw with the Astros and other teams using technology to gain an advantage. So at least that way now, the reason why everyone would agree, pitchers at least don't feel like they're naked on the mound, right? Because you hear Tyler Glasnow speak, and I think Tyler Glasnow, Ray's pitcher who unfortunately suffered an elbow injury a few weeks ago, blamed in part that he did use sticky stuff, nothing crazy, but just to get a grip on the baseball. He says now going from that to nothing changed the way he had to grip the ball, changed the way he had to deliver the ball, release the ball, and he felt that that added pressure on his elbow is the reason why he currently is on the shelf right now and injured. And I, I do agree with him. I do think that you change that so quickly. You will now all of a sudden have more pitchers getting hurt if we carry this through the rest of the season. So now at least if you still give them some sort of grip to at least have you know, a, enough on your fingers to at least feel comfortable with the ball in your hand, your mechanics don't change. Your grip doesn't change. Your arm angles don't change. So that way you can prevent, hopefully, the cascade of injuries that could come down this season the longer we go. If pitchers aren't allowed to use anything, and they're forced, mind you, to stop using the stuff they're using in the span of five days. Let's also think about it. This is not an off-season of time they had to get used to and just to not using any aids. This is, at best, five days. You're starting one game, and you can use the sticky stuff, whatever you want to use. Maybe some of it just to get a grip. Maybe some of it is to get that illegal advantage. You're pitching with that. Also, MLB comes out the next day. Hey, we're cracking down on this starting June 21st, but you have five days then to adjust and say, all right, how do I pitch now without this stuff? And I do think, well, again, you could talk about advantage to the pitcher and not giving it and kind of laying the pl- a level in the playing field, which I agree with. You also are now leading to some injury because mechanics have to change on the fly, and that's never good. So I think that giving the pitcher something helps to reduce injuries while also not giving them an advantage if it's monitored by MLB. Hitters. Again, you'd be protected on two fronts if you're a hitter. Because again, now, at least the spin rates compared to when you use spider tech, when you, whatever other substance pitchers want to use, it's not extreme. So the spin rates won't go back up because pitchers now are using a stickier substance that MLB is providing to just get a better grip on the baseball. It's more about grip than it is about advantage. So you can, as a batter, at least feel confident. All right, the pitcher, even though they're using something, is it extreme? They're not having this unbalance where it's so the scales are tilted in such favor for the pitcher that I don't have a chance. Right? Baseball, as we know, it's already hard as it is. You go into the Hall of Fame if you fail seven out of ten times. No other sport is like that. If you miss seven out of ten shots in basketball, you're getting cut. If you're a kicker missing seven out of ten kicks, or if you're a quarterback where you only complete three to ten passes every time, you're getting cut. No one else is getting rewarded for failing seven times out of 10 in baseball. So it is already hard as it is to hit a ball with no advantage for the pitcher. So at least now, you're not giving the pitcher an advantage. So play, uh, for hitters actually do have a chance at the plate. And we have seen, by accident or not, runs these last this month of June has gone up. More runs, more hits. The hitters, again, have a chance. And also... They now are less concerned about balls coming at their head. They at least have the comfortability of stepping in the box. No, okay. The pitcher has, a, you know, he grips the baseball. He knows where the ball is going. Whereas now you hear pitchers, and I thought Peter Moreland, who used to be a you know, former reliever in Major League Baseball, spent a ton of time with the Braves, now is a Braves analyst for TV. He gave an excellent description on Twitter over the weekend uh, on the Braves, I believe it was the postgame or pregame show, 
talking about why pitchers need something just to grip the ball. Because these new baseballs are almost like cue balls, right? If you, think about it, if you play pool, you pick up a cue ball, it's, you know, yeah, you can control it, but at the same time, there's no nothing there to kind of hold on to and grip. So if you were then forced to throw the cue ball across the room to your friend, you have an idea where it's going. You can feel pretty confident you can get it there, but, it, you know, it could slip. You're not 100% confident that it's going gonna, it's gonna to go where you want it to go. So now if your pitcher's throwing 100 miles an hour, yeah, I'm going to aim inside here. I'm going to go inside corner. But if it slips, goes a little higher, goes a little more inside, you know, if you're a hitter, you have to have some or a little bit of fear that, hey, you know, this pitcher doesn't exactly know where the ball is going. He's throwing 100 miles an hour, and he himself, the pitcher, is not confident of where it's going. I can't be that confident. I can't be that comfortable kind of knowing that I am basically safe at the plate. So you give pitchers the ability to gain more control back and limit batters getting hit, especially getting hit up high, which obviously, as we know, it would be very dangerous. And again, managers now, you don't have to be so hypersensitive. You don't have to be seeing things, if you will, and getting paranoid that pitchers are cheating. You can still have the checks. You can still have umpires checking to make sure that the only substance on the players are the ones MLB gave. So that way, at least to me, I think this kind of works out for everyone. And you do by the All-Star break in a few weeks so that you have some time off for pitchers and players to get used to it. And you're not asking them over an entire season long to form new habits and hopefully curb injuries before they happen. I think pitchers, you get some sort of grip back and you prevent injuries. Batters, the pitchers don't have an advantage. If anything, they just get more control so you don't get hit. And managers, all right, hey, you can use something, but you know there's still being checks going on. There's still sticky stuff, security, to make sure no funny business is going on. To me, that's, that's the best solution where everybody wins. Everyone wins. And that's a, a rare situation in this world where you have a win-win, right? Usually one side or the other is unhappy. Batters, for the most part, are happier, although some are worried about their, you know, getting hit. Pitchers are unhappy because, you know, hey, now all of a sudden I have to change everything, all my mechanics, everything on the fly without really any heads up, not an offseason to do so. Everything, I think, at least having some sort of watered-down substance to give the pitchers a grip but nothing else, I think would benefit everybody in the game. It's not going to happen. I think it should. That is my solution for what we've seen so far this week through Major League Baseball. Do you agree? Is that, a, is that a solution or are you on the side of MLB where, hey, pitchers, got to stop cheating. That's your fault that you were cheating in the first place. Now you got caught. Now you got to deal with the consequences. Do you even care that pitchers are using sticky stuff? Some people don't. Use it, let them use whatever they want. I know there's people that are. Don't mind. I feel like my solution of giving pitchers a little something, but not too much, Works for everyone. Love to hear your thoughts. Should MLB adjust their new rules? Like just this week, we are four days into MLB's new rules of pitchers not being allowed to use any sort of substance on the mound outside for the rosin bag at the back, at the back of the mound. Should MLB continue these rules? Do you see anything wrong with it? Or should they adjust? Give pitchers a shot. Give hitters a shot. Make everyone happy. Love to hear your thoughts again. Facebook, Worldwide Sports Network. Twitter, WWSRN underscore radio at Ryan Hickey Show on Twitter as well. We'll get your thoughts. And when we come back, we'll circle back to the NBA playoffs here because with just four teams remaining, right? Two in the East, two in the West. There is still a lot to lose and a lot to gain. Players, 
coaches, styles of basketball. I think there's still a ton to lean, uh, a ton to gain and a ton to lose left in the NBA playoffs. We'll tell you who has a lot to gain, who still has a lot to lose when the Ryan Hickey Show does return on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. It, it, it's the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Welcome back to the Ryan Hickey Show, right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Oh, yeah. The bangers continue. Flow Rider, I mean, what a god. He is the guy, honestly. I always joke with one of my friends, Nick, back in college. I, the, I am not a big concert guy. I've only gotten two in my life. Billy Joe, which was incredible. Bruce Springsteen. I'll just leave it there. So, not a big concert goer. Don't go to a ton. But, man, one concert I would go anywhere for is Flo Rida. This guy puts out hit after hit after hit after hit. And Good Feeling was one of those ones, man. Oof. Back in the day. That's another song on repeat. I like it by Enrique Iglesias. Repeat, repeat, repeat. Same thing with Good Feeling. What a total banger. So I told you, we're bringing the bangers back here. Probably a lot of people are glad these songs are gone. But we're going to bring them back because to me, they are whew, they are timeless. Classics. 30 years. I was still, I'm sure, when they have like an oldies, like 2000s, top 40. That's going to be my jam. Wow, man, I can't wait for that, actually. Now you have oldies, which is like the 70s now. You have the 80s channel, the 90s. Like 30 years, are going to have like a top 40 2000s. 2010s. Whew, let's go. Let's go. Let's go. So NBA playoffs, right, are down to four teams. The Eastern Conference Finals, the Western Conference Finals. Bucks, Hawks, Suns, and Clippers. Now, there's still a ton of great storylines, right, in the NBA postseason. A lot of upsets. We saw the Hawks taking down the Sixers. We saw the Clippers without Kawhi Leonard taking down the Jazz. So with all those upsets, right, with all those teams there that we don't expect, right? No one expected. No one expected Bucks, Hawks, Suns, Clippers. If so, give me a call left another number, lottery numbers for tonight. Because, man, I could use some cash. But no one expected these upsets and these four teams to be here. So that adds extra opportunities for a team to capitalize. It also adds extra pressure for a team like the Bucks to win a, to win a ring. Because now it's all right. You look at the field, they should win and should be right there for a championship. So there's still, to me, despite these four teams, and only four teams remaining in the NBA playoffs, to me, there is still a lot on the line for players, for coaches, for styles of play even. There's still a lot of pressure going on. So still, who I'll ask you this question. Who has the most to gain? Who has the most to lose to win a ring for this NBA, you know, in this NBA postseason? For me, one player with a lot to gain, Chris Paul. Right? Like, that's kind of obvious, obviously. Remarkable story, what he has done in Phoenix, coming there, revitalizing a team that won 34 wins, or just had 34 wins last year, excuse me, in the 2019-2020 season, right? When eight on the bubble, still missed out on the playing tournament. And he came in, got them to a 51-win season, second-best record in the NBA this year. The turnout was remarkable, incredible. And not only that for Chris Ball, right? Last year, you looked at what he did in Oklahoma City, dragging that Thunder team who their goal was to tank. He dragged them not only to the playoffs, Dragged him to Game 7 against the Rockets, the team that traded him there, that wanted Russell Westbrook in that big trade. Didn't end up losing, but 
He took it to the very end. But as we know, right, Chris Paul, for the most part, his playoff career has not been the most successful. A lot of failures with Lob City and the Clippers. Feuded with James Harden uh, in Houston. Had a chance up 3-2 against the 73 win Warriors. Um, Chris Paul hurts his hamstring, as we know, and that doesn't uh, result in a title. So he's one of the best point guards to ever play the game of basketball. The one thing on his resume that's missing right now is a ring. And I've said, look, the Suns, to me, I've picked the Suns to win the finals. So you right now, with the way they are playing, when you look at Milwaukee's inconsistency, when it's down to four, Phoenix is the team to beat. So he is in a great position right now and can gain a ton, legacy-wise, if he wins a ring. So we always, and you know, and kind of history shows, whatever sport it is, but basketball, especially because it's a, such a team-oriented, uh, uh, sorry, an individual-oriented sport, one, one player can really change the outcome of an entire game, of an entire series, of an entire season. We do look back more fondly on careers and players who have championship rings than don't. So this is a huge opportunity here for Chris Paul. Get a ring and kind of cement his legacy. It's already very impressive. Cemented as one of the best players to play the game. So Chris Paul has a lot to gain here, obviously by winning a title. A player with a lot to lose here, to me, is Giannis. Giannis Antetokounmpo has a lot to gain. Right? I'm not trying to say he has nothing to gain here. He has a lot to gain by winning a title. He also has a lot to lose. Because now when you look at the four teams remaining, Bucks, Hawks, Suns, and Clippers. I picked the Suns to win to me. They're the finals favorites. Before last night, before the Bucks lost game one, they, in Vegas' eyes, were the favorites to win the title. So there's a lot of pressure now on the Bucks when you look at the four teams remaining for them to push through and win a title and show they are legit. Because as we know, last playoffs, the playoffs before that, Giannis has been limited in the postseason. He has a style that could be exploited in the postseason. So far... He has played very well for the most part in this postseason. And you look at how the playoffs have broken for Milwaukee, right? They breeze through the heat. Very impressive. Then you play a Nets team in round number two that was injury riddled. And we said it before, and I'll say it again here. I do think if the Nets are fully healthy, they win that series. So you get a break that James Harden misses the first basically four games of the series after playing just 43 seconds with a hamstring injury. Then you get lucky if you were like Kyrie Irving twists his ankle, sprains it out for the remainder of the postseason, misses games five, six, and seven. And so you get lucky that basically the Nets were at best with one and a half stars on the court instead of all three. Now, with the Hawks taking down the Sixers, you don't have to face a top seed in Philadelphia. You get home court advantage in the Eastern Conference Finals as the three seed. Something you weren't expecting. So the question is now, when you look at the way the playoffs have broken for Milwaukee, if they don't win a title this year, if they come short, they can't beat the Hawks, if they can't get past the Suns, will they ever win a championship? I'm not trying to be, you know, one of these guys that it's now or never. But at least when you look at the immediate future, that the next two or three years, you got to assume next year the Nets are going to be healthier, right? It's almost harder. The, the fact that James Harden, uh, Kevin Durant, and Kyrie Irving played only eight games together, that's almost impossible to replicate. So you got to think next year they will be healthier. Those three will be on the court way more than they were this year. The Sixers, I do think, are trading Ben Simmons this offseason. So they, to, they, to me, they are already a very good team. I think they will make a move to get even better. So a big move for them is, is coming. 
You look at the West, Lakers are going to be healthier, Clippers are going to be healthier, Jazz are going to be healthier next year. So to me, this is the perfect opportunity for the Bucs to cash in and win a title. And I'll say this, part of the reason why I think Giannis has more to lose here than to gain, if the Bucs lose in the Eastern Conference Finals, if the Bucs lose in the Finals, to me there's going to be a lot more negativity surrounding Milwaukee and not getting it done then there would be positivity if they do win the finals. I think the negative attention, the the negative talking points would be greater and more abundant if they lose than positive if they win. So that's that's why Giannis has more to lose here than to gain because of the way the playoffs broke, because of the health of other teams, because right now the teams remaining. This is the best shot for the Bucs in the near future to win a championship. That's why to me Giannis has a lot to lose. A lot to gain. I think team building, the way teams are constructed, has a lot to gain here in this postseason, no matter who wins. Because what do we know in sports, right? Teams, players, organizations, executives copy greatness. We always talk about the NFL being a copycat league. I mean, all sports are like that. When they see, when teams see one player or one team doing something well, they want to replicate that. Well, the four teams remaining, Bucks, Hawks, Suns, and Clippers, They have basically primarily been built the quote-unquote right way, if you will, where they are a legitimate title contender, but they also have built a sustainable winner through the draft that you can replicate this for years to come. Look at the Suns. They've done that exact thing. They are a title contender this year, but this is not a one-and-done from this is not an all-or-nothing season for them because they still have sustainability where they can carry this out for years to come. They went through the draft. They got Devin Booker. They drafted DeAndre Ayton. They had Mikael Bridges. And they realized, hey, we need some veteran leadership that could take us to the next level. We need a point guard, kind of get some of the pressure off Devin Booker. They brought in CP3. Nice piece. CP3 leaves next year, whatever. The Suns are still legitimate contenders, and they could still plug and play and be legitimate. The Bucks, they have developed Giannis. They have developed Chris Middleton. They have built a solid core They'll be here for a while. And then you see, similar to the Suns, you value your weaknesses. We need a point guard here. We need a defensive point guard. That brings your holiday in. Take that core to the next level. You surround them with solid role pieces like P.J. Tucker and Bryn Forbes. The Bucks, if you will, and the Suns, along with the Hawks and Clippers, have built teams the sustainable way. The Hawks. Look at this team. They drafted Trey Young. They drafted John Collins. They drafted Kevin Herter. They found great role players in Clint Capella. In Bogdan Bogdanovich, in Danilo Gallinari. They have built their core through the draft and then have surrounded them with solid role pieces to take them to the next level. And even the Clippers. I will put the Clippers in here in terms of sustainable build because what they built from the ground up, first, was sustainable, right? This was a, a ragtag group. This was a group of role players that played really hard two years ago. And then in the 2019 offseason, right, they get Kawhi Leonard, they get Paul George. So I wouldn't consider the Clippers buying a championship because they built something that attracted stars. They built something to where they're only a piece or two away from competing. And to me, that this is a, like, you know, this is sustainable to where even if the Clippers lose, even if Kawhi Leonard can't come back and the Clippers lose this year, they're running it back and they're keeping most of the, the same guys they have. Rolling back next year. This is not an all-or-nothing year, if you will, for the Clippers, where if they don't win this year, 
they're going to blow it up and it's going to be a disaster. So when you look at the Nets, right, the popular talk about the Nets, the Nets, is that they bought a championship. They, like the Clippers, built something sustainable from the ground up. They signed Kevin Durant. They signed Kyrie Irving. And then really blew it up when they traded for James Harden. All three of those players have one year left than a, than a player option. So really two, two years left, if you will, if they both, all three opt in, which as we know, we, really, we rarely see that. The Nets have a limited window to win a title. To me, unlike the Suns, Hawks, Clippers, Bucks. So I do wonder, whoever wins the title, but these four teams remaining, I wonder now if teams around the league start to take notice that, hey, we can build teams through the draft the right way. Yeah, we can trade for a star. Yeah, we can find a missing piece. But the core nucleus of these guys is built through the draft, not through free agency. You get yourself a cheaper, sustainable winner, and you give yourself a bigger and longer window than you would if you go all enough for agency, get two or three stars piled together, and try to win ASAP. I do think team building now, seeing the success of a team like the Suns or the Hawks, will inspire teams to follow their path moving forward. Another team, to me, with a lot to gain here, pretty obvious, the LA Clippers. Right? I mean, let's just call it for what it is. It is a miracle that they are still playing basketball right now. Down 0-2 to the Mavericks, losing both games at home. I wrote the Clippers off that they were done. They come back, lose game five at home, go down 3-2, do in the next two games, get past the Mavericks. Going against the Jazz, go down 0-2 again. Lose Kawhi Leonard after game four with a knee sprain that potentially could be even more serious than that. They win game five on the road in Utah, close out by coming back from a 25-point deficit at early in the third quarter to close out the Jazz and send them home. It is a miracle that they're still playing right now. If they make it to the finals, right? think about it. This season has already been a success for the Clippers. They came in championship or bust, right? This was a year that they had a title. Anything else short of that would be a failure. But when you look at the postseason, how it's gone so far, when you look at losing Kawhi Leonard against the top seed in the Western Conference, the number one record in the NBA, and you lose him going on the road in game five of the series tied to 2-2, you win the next two games, advance to the first Western Conference Finals in franchise history. To me, the Clippers, they already basically have finished the season as winners. They have a ton to gain here if they can make the finals. I don't think they could win the finals. I don't think they'll get past the Suns. But they right now are the only team in NBA history to overcome two o two holes in the playoff, in the play in one playoff. So they have already, to me, gained a lot, and everything else from now is house money. You push the the Suns to six, you push them to seven, you win. It is all gravy from here. The Clippers have nothing to lose going forward. Great season, incredible will. And we'll finish off with this. Because I think the Clippers have a lot to gain. The team building has a lot to gain. I think, um, I already forgot the first one. Chris Paul, excuse me, has a lot to gain. Giannis, to me, has a lot of pressure and he still has a lot to lose. And I think his head coach, Mike Boonholzer, still has a lot to lose left in the playoffs. Now, you had Woj on Sunday, Adrian Wojnarowski of ESPN, great NBA insider. Before this series of the Hawks started, the day after the Nets, law, or the Bucks, I should say, beat the Nets in Game 7 to advance to the Eastern Conference Finals, Adrian Wojnarowski was saying that that series victory over the Nets will go a long way towards keeping Mike Budenholzer in Milwaukee. There's a report out there 
from The Athletic. It was about, I believe, April that was saying if Mike Budenholzer doesn't have a long postseason run, his job could be in jeopardy. And there was kind of the thought that, hey, if they lose to the Nets, Mike Budenholzer is, is probably out, especially when you look at the injuries. If they still can't get past the Nets, he's probably going to get fired. So you have Roach saying, all right, you beat the Nets, that's going to go a long way in keeping Mike Budenholzer in Milwaukee. I'm not sold. His job is safe. I think he minimum has to go to the finals. If they lose this series to the Hawks, I think Mike Budenholzer is still getting fired. He still has a long way to go, and he still has, to me, a lot more to lose than he has to gain. And let's look. We have eyes. The Bucs have eyes. It's easy to see. The Bucs really didn't play well against the Nets. So you can give them credit that, hey, they didn't play well and still won the series. Hey, they, they, a team in the heat that they got embarrassed by in the bubble last year, they blew them out this year four games in a row. But also you can look at the Nets' injuries, that if they're anywhere healthier, if Kyrie is on the court, if James Harden is 80% and on the court, the Nets probably win that series. I'm sorry, not probably. The Nets do win that series. And this is coming from someone who backed Milwaukee and wasn't believing in Brooklyn. Milwaukee did not inspire a ton of confidence in that series, to be completely honest. And again, even last night, in game one against the Hawks, another example of this offense going cold late. Last two minutes, eight seconds of the game, they don't hit a field goal. Defensively, they, they continue to foul Trey Young, don't get a ton of stops, struggle rebounding the basketball. So I still think Mike Boonholzer's future as head coach of the Bucks hinges on this Hawks series. They lose, I think he's out. They win, okay, he's going to get an extension. He has one year left. That's it. And I think purposely they did not give him an extension after last year. They want to see how this year played out. And now with the circumstances, the way you beat the Nets with injuries being at the forefront, now going against a Hawks team that, look, they have been great. I called them the most impressive team this NBA postseason. But it's the Hawks. You're a better team than the Hawks. You're not going against the Sixers. You're not going against a fully healthy Nets team. You are going against the Atlanta Hawks right now, and they came into your building last night and beat you. Mike Budenholzer's future is still, to me, up in the air. He has a lot to still lose this postseason if they don't advance to the finals. So Chris Paul, a lot to gain. Giannis, a lot to lose. Team building, I do think, has a lot to gain. I think we could see teams moving forward kind of try to emphasize the draft more than maybe it is valued right now. Clippers, still a lot to gain. And Mike Boonholzer, in my mind, still a lot to lose. So I'm curious your thoughts. Who has the most to gain, the most to lose in this postseason? Could be player, could be coach, it could be team. Facebook Worldwide Sports Network, Twitter, WWSRN underscore radio, at Ryan Hickey Show on Twitter as well. We'll get your thoughts, and when we come back, we'll circle back to what we started off with the show in case you missed it. The Atlanta Hawks are the most impressive team this postseason. I'll tell you the reason why when the Ryan Hickey Show returns right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. It, it is the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Radio. Welcome back to the Ryan Hickey Show, right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. We are back here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network, going until 11 a.m. Eastern, continuing with the great throwback music. Throwback for me. The one-time radio hits that now have been... Out of the loop, out of the cycle, if you will, because they get overplayed. That's how their radio works, and I love it. I honestly do love it. Play the same song 
every hour, every day for three weeks, a month, and then it's just tossed to the side on to the next one. We're bringing it back, though. Flow Rider, thank you. Hit after hit, like I said, another one right here. So if you want to get in the show, we're here for a few more minutes. Ryan Hickey Show on Twitter, WWSRN underscore radio on Twitter as well. Worldwide Sports and Eric on Facebook is where you can find the live stream. We're also on YouTube, Worldwide Sports and Eric. Our app, WWSRN, if you have an iPhone, or Worldwide Sports and Eric, if you have an Android. Watch the show, read the articles. Tremendous, tremendous stuff on the app, WWSRN. For an iPhone, again, Worldwide Sports and Eric. Type that into the App Store on Android. Great app. You will love it. Easy. Everything there at the click of a button, which we love. Download the app today. You won't be disappointed. And WorldwideSportsRadio.com is our fantastic, fantastic website. So we will finish off where we started. You know, kind of come full circle here. Because last night we talked a lot of Bucks. We talked a lot of Hawks. We talked a lot of NBA. To me, last night, with the Hawks winning game number one in the fashion that they did, they have cemented the fact that they are, to me, the most impressive team this postseason. The, the Suns, I think, are the hottest team this postseason. You make the argument right now the best team remaining. But in terms of impressions, in terms of expectations, where we thought they would be compared to where they are right now, there's no team in my mind that have impressed more this season than the Atlanta Hawks. Because they do it again last night. 116-113 over the Milwaukee Bucks in game number one. And the reason they've been so impressive, in my mind at least, is because they are doing so with a cast of characters, with a great core that doesn't have a ton of playoff experience, has never been on the big stage before. And they're going into raucous arenas, Madison Square Garden, going in Philly to play the Sixers, now Pfizer form last night against the Bucks. And not only are they playing well, they are playing well in the biggest moments of the game. The last two minutes, three minutes, 30 seconds of the game. Not only are they playing well, they look like they've been there before. This is a very young team in the Hawks. And you see down the stretch in the biggest moments of playoff games, we've seen players of talent, of veteran experience like Paul George, like Ben Simmons, melt in the pressure. We have seen the pressure get to them. And now you have guys like Trey Young. John Collins, Clint Capella, Bogdanovich, uh, Danilo Gallinari, Kevin Herter. All these guys playing their best basketball, looking comfortable in the big moments. They're taking the shots. They're making the shots. They're not panicking that they're down four with two minutes left. They're not panicking that they need a, a shot here and need a stop with 30 seconds to go. They don't flinch in the big moment, and that is what's so impressive. We have seen plenty of teams and players collapse down low, and we've seen the Bucs even this postseason do it a few times as well. Not the Hawks. They have remained poised. They have kept their, their calm, and they have stayed cool, calm, and collected, if you will. And they never seem to panic. It hit me last night watching the game where I forget, maybe it was after a Capella uh, dunk or it was after a big shot where the, the Bucs are still up by a possession or two, but the Hawks going into a timeout. Look calm. Look like, all right, we're not faced. Yeah, we're down four with two minutes to go. No problem. We got this. And they continue to run their offense the way it's been run the entire game through the entire season. They find the open man, whether it's Trey Young, whether it's John Collins, whether it's Clint Capella. They are making the shots. They're not going hero ball. They're not getting, you know, panicking and just start chucking up shots, trying to draw fouls. They stick to what the offensive game plan is. When you see the Sixers, 
when you see the Jazz at times, when you see even the Bucks this postseason, the train has come off the tracks. There is panic that's been set in, and these are teams that have been there before. These are teams that big that have been in the big moment, and they have it kind of crumble over them and kind of collapse and melt, if you will, under the pressure. But not this Hawks team, this young, scrappy Hawks team. Again, with no playoff experience. The starting five last night, outside of Clint Capella, has never played in a playoff game before this playoffs. And they are still looking like seasoned veterans out there. There's never any panic. There's never any concern in their faces. Nate McMillan deserves a lot of credit for this. And so does, and really it starts with Trey Young. He sets the tone for this team. He's a guy who leads by example. Dropping 48 points last night, dishing out 11 assists. He not only scores, stays aggressive, wants the ball in his hands. He's not afraid to pass to his team. He's not afraid to find the open guy. He doesn't feel the need to do it all himself like we saw, for example, Luka Doncic in Dallas have to do it all himself because he didn't trust many of his other teammates. The Hawks get contributions up and down the lineup on a nightly basis. They're doing so in some hostile environments. Again, 6-2 and two on the road in the playoffs is not easy to do. Madison Square Garden, I thought the roof was going to blow off when you are watching. You could feel how loud it was watching through the TV. Philly's a very rowdy uh, crowd. And last night, it was a raucous atmosphere with Pfizer form. And the Hawks didn't get phased. Whether they're down 26 in the second half, whether they're down at halftime, whether they're down by 17 in the third quarter. They fight, they don't panic, and they stay true to who they are which, again, is so much easier said than done, which is why it's so impressive. We rarely see this poise and this this collectiveness, if you will, to not flinch, not panic in the big moment, despite the fact that things aren't going their way. It's not the fact like the Hawks have cruised through the playoffs, right? Like, for example, the Suns have cruised through the entire playoffs. Now, they had some moments we saw in Game 2 with that incredible dunk by DeAndre Ayton to seal the game. But for the most part, the Suns have been breezing through the playoffs and played really, really well. The Hawks, if anything, have had the opposite path. It feels like they're down early every single game. They're trailing at halftime. They're trailing in the third quarter. They're trailing in the fourth quarter. They've had to fight and dig and claw to get to where they are right now. And it looks like, you know, just like another day in the office. Oh, just another game in December. No big deal. Down by 26. Oh, we'll just keep on, we'll keep on doing what we do. That belief has trickled into why, at least to me, the Hawks are where they are right now, up 1-0 on the Bucks, three wins away from the finals. And that's to me why they have been the most impressive team this postseason. Incredible. Absolutely incredible. Congrats to you, Atlanta. Now, I'm still picking the Bucks to win this series. I'm still going to go Bucks in six. But the poise that they have shown to me is unreal. Very, very, very impressive with Atlanta, what they've done. An incredible season. So far, we'll see how more how I think it will end here in the Eastern Conference Finals. But hey, I've been wrong a ton so far this NBA postseason. So if you're an Atlanta Hawks fan, you are probably jumping for joy that I'm still picking the Bucks in six. Because I mean, you know what that means? Hawks in five. <laughs> That's how my postseason predictions have gone so far. Suns fans, I apologize for believing in you. Bucks fans, I'm sure you're not too happy that I'm uh, picking your team. And Hawks fans, I'm sure you are jumping for joy to hear me say Bucks and Six. It'll be a fun postseason. Excited to see it go on tonight um, for sure. So I'll do it for this edition 
of the Ryan Hickey Show right here on the Worldwide Sports. And we appreciate you starting your Thursday morning with us. Great weekend coming up here. Be at the Mets game on Sunday. Hopefully they get some hits, get some runs. First game that I have been to since I went to a Rangers-Capitals game back in very early March, like a week before everything got shut down. Mika's advantage had five goals. Incredible. Such an awesome atmosphere. First live sporting event, I guess in a year and a half. Pumped up. Should be a ton of fun. Hopefully, whatever you're doing this weekend, it's enjoyable. Stay safe. Stay sane. We'll talk to you on Monday. Where else? On the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. It's the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Radio.